I would prefer to not believe in the existence of the devil or other demonic entities. But in Ireland, there are disconcerting tales which give me cause for thought. This is Mark Lyon. Welcome to the Other Realm. Throughout my life, I have collected true accounts left to us by those who have inadvertently crossed the invisible threshold from our world into the realm of the supernatural and returned to tell the tale. These are their stories. The ancient churchyard of Aragal True in County Monaghan is well known for its distinctively carved tombstones featuring images of skulls, bones, coffins, and hourglasses. But visitors to the graveyard would do well to avoid lingering there by themselves, and should they fail to heed my warning, they would be well advised to shun any comely stranger they might encounter. For the graveyard of Aragal True is said to be haunted by a malevolent spirit with whom an encounter is always fatal. The 19th century writer and collector of Irish folklore, William Carleton, wrote of this spirit, When a funeral takes place, it is said to watch the person who last remains in the graveyard, over whom it exerts a fascinating influence. If the person be a young man, it takes the shape of a beautiful female, inspires him with a charm passion, and exacts a promise that he will meet her in the churchyard one month from that day. This promise is sealed with a kiss that communicates a deadly taint to the individual who receives it. The spirit then disappears, and no sooner does the individual from whom it received the promise and the kiss pass the boundary of the churchyard than he remembers the history of the spectre, which is well known in the parish, sinks into despair and insanity, dies, and is buried in the place of the appointment on the day when the promise was to have been fulfilled. If, on the contrary, it appears to a female, it assumes the form of a young man of exceeding elegance and beauty. I was shown the grave of a young person about eighteen years of age, who it was said about four months before to have fallen victim to it, Carleton continued, and not many months previously, a man in the same parish declared that he gave the promise and the fatal kiss and consequently looked upon himself as lost. He took a fever, died, and was buried on the day appointed for the meeting, which was exactly one month from that of the interview. Incredible as it may appear, the friends of these two persons solemnly declared that the particulars of the meeting were detailed repeatedly by the two persons without the slightest variation. There are several cases of the same kind mentioned, but the two now alluded to are the only ones that came within my personal knowledge. It appears, however, that the spectre does not confine its operations to the churchyard only, 
as there have been instances mentioned of its appearance at weddings and dances, where it never fails to secure its victims by dancing them into pleuritic fevers. The Irish historian Dermot McManus, in his book The Middle Kingdom, recalls the evening one summer day in his seventh year when he was returning with his father from the orchard on their family estate. As twilight fell and shadows from the orchard lengthened, his father stopped, faced the orchard, and three times made the sign of the cross in the air. Daddy? Why did you do that? the young boy asked. After a moment's hesitation, his father answered in a solemn voice, There are things there that it is better to keep at a distance. It was only years later that his father told him of an experience which occurred when he was around fourteen years old. He had been playing hide-and-go-seek one afternoon in and about the family stable buildings with his brother Arthur when, while hiding in the granary, he heard the sound of stamping hooves and frantic snorting in the stable twelve feet below. Curious as to what was going on, he opened a trap door and looked down to see two terrified horses attempting to flee from a threatening something lurking near the manger. Then the thing came into focus. He saw, as McManus would later describe it, something that filled him with horror, a sight that he would never forget all the days of his life. There crouched a figure of evil with baleful eyes, blazing red like coals of fire. It was huddled in a compact ball, as a boy of his own size might look when squatting on his haunches. It gripped the edge of the manger and was a dirty grayish-brown. The fingers were bone and sinew and ended not in human nails, but in curved, pointed claws. The boy slammed shut the trap door and fled the granary, frantically calling out for his brother in warning. Now, malicious spirits and unexplainable, horrific elemental entities are one thing. But is there really such a thing as the devil? Consider the events said to have occurred years ago in one of Ireland's finest houses. Built just outside the town of Selbridge in County Kildare in 1722 for William Connolly, the Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, and situated on a 555-acre estate, the sprawling palace, composed of an imposing 70-foot-high stone central edifice with separate stone structures on either side, connected by elegant semicircular wings, Castletown House is Ireland's finest example of Palladian architecture. 
The son of an innkeeper, Speaker Connolly rose from his humble beginnings to become the richest and most powerful politician in Ireland, and in a country well known for its hospitality. Castletown House was in a class by itself. As a guest once wrote, life at Speaker Connolly's gathers momentum, parties and routes continue. Last week, so many guests were asked to a hunt ball that it was only at the last minute that it was discovered that there were in the house twice as many people as the house could put up. But such a matter did not trouble our genial host. Dancing went on until five o'clock in the morning when the ladies retired and filled all the available beds in the house. There they slept in peace until nine o'clock when they were roused by the passage of the butler and three footmen up and down the cold corridors, all ringing loud bells and crying out, Get up, girls! The boys want the beds! When Speaker Connolly died in 1729, his wife Catherine continued the tradition of extravagant hospitality until her death in 1752 at which time the estate passed to the speaker's favorite nephew, William James Connolly, who in 1734 had married Lady Anne Wentworth, the daughter of the Earl of Stratford. Lady Anne wrote to her father, Castletown is much the grandest house I have seen in Ireland. It is very lofty and deep. On either side wind in a circular manner colonnades of stone supported on columns of the Ionic order. The rooms are large, light, and well-proportioned. Indeed, they are furnished with every treasure. It was Lady Anne who wrote in her journal of one day seeing a tall, dark figure standing on the top gallery overlooking the vast two-story entrance hall with its grand columns and black-and-white polished limestone floor laid out in a classical checkered design. The man, if that is what he might correctly be called, seemed to be assessing the place in the haughty manner of one expecting one day to assume ownership. He threw back his head and let out a high mocking laugh before calmly walking off the gallery into space, making his way down the steps of a long twisting staircase which was not actually there descending the precise route of the treads and turns of a staircase which would not be built for another ten years. Upon the death of William James Connolly in 1754, his son, Thomas Connolly, became the master of Castletown House, and along with his wife, Lady Louisa, who devoted herself to completing the interior decorations of the house and improving the grounds of the estate, they continued the Castletown tradition of lavish parties and generous Irish hospitality, keeping, as one writer put it, an open house for the great and the small. Squire Tom was a passionate huntsman and aficionado of horsemanship, and it was his devotion to the fox hunt which led to a very strange tale. 
a tale which later generations were forbidden to tell guests until they had stayed for at least two nights at Castletown in the hope that by that time the guest would have come to feel safe in the house. The story has been told with slight variations over the years. The following account is based upon the remembrances of Selbridge residents which were collected in the 1930s. One morning, while mounting his horse, Tom Connolly said to James Grahan, the head groom, I feel so good today I could ride against the devil himself and win the fox's brush. As he left the stable, a mysterious stranger dressed all in black and mounted on a fine black horse greeted Tom with a salute and followed him to the Liffey Bridge where the hounds had been gathered and other riders had assembled to begin the hunt. Although Squire Connolly was riding a splendid steed and was accustomed to outpacing the others, he was amazed to find that the stranger immediately took and maintained the lead throughout the hunt, clearing each jump with ease and at one point leaping through the fork of a tree. When the end came for the fox on the hill of Ardras, Tom Connolly and the dark stranger were the only two to reach the site of the kill. Although Tom suggested that they draw lots for the fox's tail, the stranger graciously offered the brush to Tom. In return, Squire Connolly offered the stranger the hospitality of Castletown House, where the other members of the hunt were certain to gather. After dinner, cards were produced, and the party played late into the night. In the words of a caretaker who, along with his father, had worked at Castletown House, the squire was steadily losing, and as the butler was serving the wine, he noticed that the master was being cheated. A card, the ace of spades, fell onto the floor, and as the butler stooped to pick it up, he saw with horror that the dark stranger had a cloven hoof. In great fear, he requested the squire to come to the pantry as he wished to speak to him, and he told him all he had seen. Needless to say, the caretaker's account continues, the squire was terrified, and as he knew that it would be futile to try to get rid of his satanic visitor, he asked the butler to advise him. The butler suggested they call for a churchman, and as Squire Connolly was a Protestant, he sent the butler out to fetch the local rector. When the rector arrived, the devil mocked him and laughed derisively as household animals fled in terror, and horses bolted from the stables and ran wildly about the estate. I was invited into this house, and in this house I shall remain, the devil scoffed and laughed some more. The representative of the Church of Ireland having failed, Connolly was reluctantly persuaded to summon Father Kenny, the local parish priest. It is said that the priest sweated three shirts as he attempted the rite of exorcism, finally becoming so frustrated that he hurled a holy book at the devil, who was staunchly holding forth in front of the fireplace, the priest shouting, Go down through that hearthstone to hell from which you came. Some say the book passed cleanly through the devil, cracking a mirror hanging above the mantelpiece. 
others say it bounced off him, with the result that he was sent careening into another mirror. Whether it was that he felt insulted by having the book thrown at him, or there was some power contained within the sacred volume, or, perhaps more likely, the devil had finally tired of the game, we will never know. But at that moment, he violently plunged down through the marble hearthstone, creating a long forked crack. In gratitude to the priest, it is said that Tom Connolly presented Father Kenny with an exquisite painting of St. Stephen and a beautiful house in Selbridge, which served thereafter as the parochial house, for which he asked an annual rent of only one acorn and one halfpenny. While it is easy to dismiss the tale as being nothing more than folklore, Diana, Patrick, and Gerald Connolly Carew, the last generation to grow up in the house, state in their memoir, Children of Castletown House, that an account of the event was written down at the time it occurred, and that the account was signed by all those who had witnessed the event. And then, as I have seen for myself, the cracked mirror still hangs in the dining room, and a forked crack still remains in the marble hearthstone, offering mute testimony to the night it is said the devil dined at Castletown House. <laughs> The Other Realm is a production of Wind Whistle Theatre. Our music was composed by Dan Heflin. Support for The Other Realm has been provided by HauntedIsles.com, offering private and small group tours of haunted Britain and Ireland, and by Heftone Studios, producers of Phantoms of the Holbrook, a docudrama relating true events occurring at what well may be the most haunted hotel in the entire world, and Natalie, a modern retelling of the German legend of the Lorelei, and by Wind Whistle Press, publishers of Jesse Adelaide Middleton's classic trilogy of true tales of the supernatural, The White Ghost Book, the Grey Ghost Book, and its sequel, Another Grey Ghost Book, and Lep Castle, The House of Horrors, by Mildred Darby, and San Francisco Ghosts, by Mark Lyon.